That's where we talk to people from the world of audio about their ideas, opinions, and methods. Hi, and welcome back to Signal Path. I'm Mark Bruner from Shure, here today with the illustrious Josephine Lee, President and Creative Director for the Chicago Children's Choir. We're doing a special event here today at the Shure for Those Who Tour House, located in the heart of Lincoln Park in Chicago. We've got a bunch of the Chicago Children's Choir kids downstairs doing a microphone workshop, and Josephine and I are up here in the podcast studio, waxing philosophically about all things CCC (laughs) and uh, the Chicago arts community and uh, the role that this magnificent choir plays in that. So we will apologize in advance. You may hear random sounds of young singers coming through who are auditioning mics downstairs, as well as the rumble of the L train, (laughs) which is a familiar sound to those of us here in Chicago. Josephine, Lincoln Park is home for you, right? You grew up here. Yes, I was actually born and raised in Lincoln Park. Not too far from here? Not too far. So tell us about home life when you were young. When was music introduced into your life? Well, I started playing violin at age three, and my violin teacher encouraged my parents uh, to have, have me play piano as well. So um, it helped with my sight reading. And my mother was a self-taught musician, singer, pianist. Wow. So we also incorporated voice. And I sang in a choir, and I ended up conducting that choir at age 15. Amazing. What uh, type of music did you learn first at age three? Right? Age (laughs) three. Well, here's the fun fact. I asked to play the violin and I immediately asked to quit. Really? And my mother said, it's hard. It, it was just painful. And she said, you're not quitting piano or violin until you graduate high school. Wow. So the mandate was given. Yes. So I started with, you know, Suzuki, obviously, and classical training. So traditional, um, it was a hybrid. I learned to read music at a very young age. And what types of music got put in front of you at that time? Um, some Mozart, Bach, Czerny, Hannon. Did you gravitate toward that? Did you appreciate that at such a young age? Or was it just a task? Probably not. It was a task. But then when I um, uh, went to college, I studied with this incredible professor named Dmitry Paperno, who was trained by the late Alexander Goldenweiser from the Moscow Conservatory. Rachmaninoff was a friend of his and wrote the piano double hand suite in honor of Alexander Goldenweiser. And uh, he made me play Mozart sonatas at age 17. Wow. Because apparently I wasn't playing it properly with the right pianism. What did you say to him when he told you that? Well, I had to retrain myself, you know, just the tone, harmonic structure, how to use the pedal properly, how to voice the melody, just even basic technique. I had to retrain myself, this Russian methodology. Fascinating. So college wasn't too far from here either, right? You went to DePaul? I did, yes. And then on to Northwestern after that. So all of it has been here in the Chicago area. I've been trying to leave Chicago my whole life. (laughs) Especially in the winter, like we are in now. (laughs) Yes. Fortunately, I love Chicago. There's a reason why I'm still here. 
It's a great city. It's culturally diverse. I think it's more so now than when I was a child. And Chicago Children's Choir became my safe haven, creative playground, an opportunity to nurture and collaborate with incredible young talent in our city. And so it's been very, very fulfilling these past 20 years. Well, we'll talk about that diversity aspect a little bit later when we talk about where the choir is formed from and where you perform. But you've been at this almost 20 years now. That's a long time to be committed to a a certain institution. So there must be something extremely special about the Chicago Children's Choir. Yes, I was introduced to the choir when I was at DePaul University. Uh, We have a neighborhood choir here, a satellite program at the university. Uh, A woman named Dr. Suzanne Baker, who runs the DePaul Community Music Division, uh, introduced me to this organization. Her daughter was a part of it, and now she works at the choir as one of our conductors. So that was your introduction to them. How long before you were on the payroll working for them? Right. So I started uh, my freshman year at age 17. I'll give away my age. Sorry. (laughs) No shame. (laughs) We're not doing any math here. Yeah, right. And then I went to Northwestern when I was 21. And then um, my mother was diagnosed with cancer towards the end of my studies. And I'm an only child of immigrant parents, Korean immigrant parents. And I was, you know, they came here in the 1970s. My father came in the 1960s. So I really was, you know, thought I would have the opportunity to go to Europe and work in the opera houses there. And I want, I love traveling, um, but I needed to f- a job, a full-time job. So um, Dr. Baker introduced me to the program. So I said, oh, no problem. I'll check it out. Walked into the cultural center. This was 1999, August. And uh, they said, sure, we'll give you a job. And they sent me in to all these in-school programs uh, in the south and west side of Chicago. So the choir at that time was serving around 3,000 kids. Currently, we have 5,200. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a 64-year-old organization that was founded uh, during the height of the civil rights movement in 1956. So when I went into these in-school programs, I was completely blown away by a few things. A, the fact that kids didn't have music education every single day. My father was a minister. My mom was a, a teacher. But they valued education and music. So I had weekly piano, violin lessons. And then when I went to high school in the suburbs, I had orchestra every single day. And then I conducted my own course on the weekends and taught 20 piano students. So that was my life. I just couldn't believe that that wasn't available to every child. Number two, completely blown away by the extraordinary talent and uh, that there was an opportunity for these young people to shine. So that's really what drew me in to this organization in 99. So your dad as a theologian, did that introduce a sense of spirituality connected to music in your growing up? And is that all part of it? So I'm not a very religious person, even though I was raised, born and bred in a very religious Christian household. Music is my religion. And uh, I experienced the power of what music can do, how it can bring us all together, unite us, the power to heal. It seems with a choir, 
and the city of Chicago, a lot of kids' first exposure to music is church, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that must play an important role with a lot of the students that, that come to join the Chicago Children's Choir as they've been introduced to it mm -hmm. in the church environment. It's almost like an incubator, isn't it, for, for young true. talent? Mm -hmm. Especially choral music. Mm -hmm. um, because there are no barriers. Your body is your instrument. And there is something so transcendent when you bring voices, not only of one race, but a group of people from many races. And the, the sonorous air that we create, that color is so powerful and it penetrates your soul. It's extremely visceral. Therefore, I think whatever religion, race, um, culture, whatever you believe in, there is something so um, transformative about the power of music to unite and elevate all of us to a more beautiful place. It seems like that's one of the primary missions of this choir, and it has been since its inception over 50 years ago, to bring peace to a somewhat tumultuous world, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of your students are growing up in some neighborhoods where there are a lot of challenges. And, and this organization must provide a tremendous amount of relief and uh, escape maybe sometimes from mm -hmm. that. Do you experience that? And do you, do you find yourself uh, not only as a, a music teacher, but as a counselor from time to time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I've never heard counselor, mentor, maybe someone who's there to help guide them and show them a way that is different than what they may see day to day. Social media, right? Right. I think that's a distraction for a lot of people, a lot of kids. Uh, we were having a conversation last week with some of the members of our top ensemble, the voices that you hear downstairs, and um, Anaya Chase was talking about code switching. And I didn't understand, what, you know, like you have, there's this, she goes to a predominantly white school, but when then she's in her community, she has to, you know, there's a whole code, or how they have to, um, have a certain train face when they go on the L, right. like not look at people in the eye. And, and for me, hearing these stories, this is a reality. And I think often people don't realize what young people go through, uh, the temptations that are in front of them. And with music, through this art form, you can express your deepest emotions. You can feel happiness, joy, but you can also express your sorrow and I think to have an outlet to express your feelings is so important. And when young people are not given that opportunity, I think that's when challenges occur. Yeah, so you provide that for, for a lot of these kids then? Yes. And also, you know, through different traditions, right? Whether it be a world music piece or a classical music piece or a religious piece or a gospel, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you can also feel what that person is feeling, what their God means to them. And it also validates everyone's culture. And I think that's important to celebrate. I always say Chicago Children's Choir brings young people together on common ground to collaborate, converse, strive for excellence, celebrate each other's differences by learning to lead and thrive in a global economy, because we currently live in a global economy. So the more you know about Tchaikovsky, for example, we're working on this Queen of Spades opera or Carmina Burana by Orff, you know, these anti-apartheid songs, even new music that's being written by our alums. Ted Hearn, for example, right. Pulitzer Prize finalist. 
one of the most notable alums from the CCC, right? Ted right? Hearn. Ted Hearn. who's actually using his art to highlight social events. Maybe we should back up a little bit and just talk about um, the age groups that you have mm-hmm. and how those are assembled in what venues and then ultimately the Voice of Chicago, which is your premier group. So how does a Chicago public school student get engaged with the Chicago Children's Choir? What's the process? So we have three tiers. The bottom tier, we partner with over 90 Chicago schools and we provide in-school programs. Children do not pay a fee to participate. The schools pay us a fee and then we subsidize 50% of that. And that's where I call the heartbeat of the Chicago Children's Choir. Over 4,000 kids participate in our in-school programs at their school. Okay. Then we have 11 neighborhood choir programs. And again, we serve children ages 8 to 18. So for the in-school, it's usually uh, elementary school and some middle schools. Our neighborhood choir programs are more in-depth. We have three levels uh, at some of them. And we reflect the demographic of our city. So we have a program in Hyde Park where we were founded. We have one here in Lincoln Park, Beverly, um, Off the Street Club, uh, Garfield Park, Englewood, Austin, Albany Park, Humble Park, Pilsen, Rogers Park. And then we recently opened our newest program in Bucktown. And we are opening our 12th neighborhood, Gage Park, next season. We also have, a, and they meet in their neighborhoods. And then we have a young male ensemble, Dimension. So boys who go through the vocal change. Uh, they have their own ensemble and they meet downtown Um with my senior associate artistic director, Judy Hansen. And then we have the All-Stars, the Voice of Chicago, comprised of youth from throughout the city. And they meet also at the Cultural Center, 100 Singers, Mixed Ensemble, SATV. And I always say, um, no matter what level you're in, you're learning how to become not only an ambassador of your school, your family, and your community, but of our great city, our nation, and the world. So they're learning how to become global citizens through through the Chicago Children's Choir. That's fantastic. It, it's such an institution and, you know, your board of directors is a who's who in the Chicago community. I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding if it, it, we encourage our listeners to take a look at the CCC website and, and look into some of that stuff. But um, I wonder how all of these bases get covered. What's the size of your staff and the folks who are going into the the Mm -hmm. public schools? Uh, What's the size of the army here? Yeah, it's a small but mighty army. (laughs) Less than 45, full-time, part-time, 14 conductors. I have a senior associate artistic director, an associate artistic director, and then I have program directors, managers, conductors. Some of them see up to five to 700 kids a week. They're extraordinary. Wow. I mean, you're only as strong as your team members. So we are very fortunate to have staff that are committed to the mission of the choir. Is there a particular pipeline for the folks who join the CCC in terms of colleges or uh, other music schools? Where, where do you extract these folks from? Great question. That's our biggest challenge to find musicians, music educators, conductors, people who have an open mind, not just in terms of uh, their ability to teach various styles of music, not just one. I was classically trained, but because I had to play at church and you know doing all these gigs, I was able to improvise and be able to assimilate to different styles of music. I've always been an open book. It wasn't just about 
you know, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. Um, but more often, people who are studying at the university or conservatories, it's very specialized. So to we have a future music educators initiative. We train our conductors in our urban choral music education curriculum. And so um, we're, we're just looking for young people who are excited to work in the in, in an urban setting. I think that's the most important quality. So one thing that's incredibly impressive about this organization is the um, collaborations that you've done with, with a lot of, you know, major institutions here in the city and, um, just tell us about a few of the highlights along the way for you in that regard, mm-hmm. um, partnering up with, with other music organizations here, professional music organizations who really want you guys to come in and add that special element to what's going on. Yes. So since my tenure, um, we've been fortunate enough to be the Lyric Opera's Children's Chorus, uh, Donald Palumbo, who's the former chorus master who's currently at the Metropolitan Opera, auditioned me back in 99, 2000. And uh, I had the great fortune of starting uh, my tenure with him, with, with the great Sir Andrew Davis. And his son, Edward, actually sang in the choir with us for several seasons. He's thriving as a composer, conductor. Chicago Symphony Orchestra is another one. Deborah Rudder, she's fantastic. Uh, she's currently at the Kennedy Center, and her daughter um, Jillian was in the choir as well. Uh, Ravinia Festival, Wealth Kaufman, dear, dear friend. Uh, when he started his tenure here, he asked, he saw us at the Cultural Center singing South African songs. He's like, Josephine, would you like to perform with Ladysmith Black Mambazo? And I was like, yes. So that was the start of our collaboration. And he's brought us out to Highland Park every year. Uh, so we've performed with Lady Smith, Al Green, Bobby McFerrin, Othello with, um, you know, Mahler's Eighth with Eschenbach, Othello with James Conlin, Wyclef Jean. Uh, most recently, we performed the Mass. I prepared the adult chorus. Uh, we had the children's chorus involved, the soloists, Leonard Bernstein's Mass under the direction of Marin Alsop, who's a fantastic conductor. It's been a journey. Oh, Looking Glass Theater. We collaborated with them back in 2000. And then David Kersner and I, who's an ensemble member, created, co-created a new work called Sitaram, which is, an, is a modern adaptation of the Ramayana, a Hindu epic. Uh, so we, we performed a concert version at Ravinia in 2003 with Jayu Tal and his Pagan Love Orchestra. <laughs> he was the composer. And then Looking Glass brought it to the Water Tower Theater in 2006. So we had a... Um, a four-week run there, and then we remounted it in 2012 at the Harris Theater with a cast of 250 people on stage. So now we're hopefully going to take it to Broadway. That's the dream. Wow. So we just did another table read of that recently. I collaborated with Martha Levy, the late Martha Levy at Steppenwolf Theater. I mean, it's such a culturally rich city. And then just other artists, right? Just this weekend, we were with Queen Latifah at the NBA All-Star Game and uh, Chance the Rapper helped him with the uh, Coloring Book album. 
and then uh, a song on Big Day, Extraordinary Artist. We filmed God is Love with Common. I don't know if that's out yet, but uh, what a sweet man. Yeah, so, I mean, there's just, uh, the, the list goes on. It's absolutely amazing. Buddy Guy. Right. Yeah, we worked on a Playing for Change music video with him, Skin Deep. And then I personally uh, work with Lisa Fisher. I'm sure right. you know her from twenty from Stardom. She sang with Mick Jagger, Sting. Uh, and she is one of the most brilliant vocalists alive. Yeah, she's in, amazing. In my opinion. Um, so thanks to Linda Goldstein, who's also uh, Bobby McFerrin's manager, you know, the brainchild behind all of their creations. She hired me to be her conductor, orchestral conductor for her, her rep. With, or, um, we performed with the uh, National Philharmonic in Strathmore at Bethesda, and then uh, with the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra for their anniversary at Kimmel Center last October, or was it November 1? And I just love her. So I was just with her at Sony Hall this past Valentine's Day. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So all of these great collaborations that you've had, and a lot of them with folks and institutions here in Chicago, tell us a little bit about the international mission now that's developing with the Chicago Children's Choir and the the overseas tours that, mm-hmm. that, that you've been mounting, and how's that been going? Yeah, the choir's been traveling internationally since the 1970s, and I believe what we do is cultural diplomacy. It's been a part of my ingrained in my DNA because of my parents and their dream for me to one day unite the Koreas through music because of their past. Um, so when I came to the choir, this international traveling travel was very important to their mission. I have seen firsthand transformations, you know, and people who have accepted our young singers with open arms and an open heart, and they see America through a very different lens after our collaborations and performances. Because I think there's something that's really special seeing young people come together, not only just, there are tons of choirs, right? right? But there's something about seeing a diverse group of youth and hearing them sing at such a high level, the excellence, and then also being able to do all these various genres they also dance, right? So one of the most memorable tours is the one we took to India. And that was in 2013, January. And we were at uh, the Salam Balak Trust. My friend Sanjay Roy started the Jaipur Literature Festival. You may know the movie Slumdog Millionaire. Of course. And it's this home where these boys reside in, in Delhi. And we sang We Shall Overcome. And they sang it back to us in Hindi, and it was like the most powerful thing to see. And then we did this Michael Jackson medley. I don't know if you want to put this on here, but but they don't care about us, you know, when the kids are singing it and they were just like shouting it out. Like, it was just wild to see that. It's just nothing like going to a different country and thinking, my gosh, you know, we live in such a rich place. Even Cuba, my gosh, Cuba was just, life-changing as well. Did you go to Havana? We did. And we collaborated with uh, the National Chorus there and visited some of the schools and the delegation, you can't call them ambassadors, but they we did a, a 
exchange of the Cuban and the U.S. flag at the school. And the gentleman from the U.S. government was just in tears. He's like, you're doing the work that we've dreamt of doing all these years. When we went to Korea, we were on the demilitarized zone. This was 2006. And Yerse, they opened it up to civilians. And our kids were singing Uriya's Honan Tongiri, which is a peace song, a unification song. Well, of course, as we were singing it, writing ribbons and tying it on the, this fence, they received a call from the north. They're like, turn them around. Oh, really? <laughs> what kind of propaganda are you? <laughs> uh, for, you know, preaching here, so we had to. But, you know, at that time, we didn't know. We were just we were just trying to do... Trying to spread some love in the world. That's all it is, really. Your parents would have been proud of you. Aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know. Sometimes I think all of these, the discourse that exists around the world is not by the people. Right. Is there a perception of Chicago going into some of these places? I know in, in some parts of the world, our, the reputation of this city is uh, it, it's not always brilliant. Do you find yourself changing people's hearts about that when you come through? Always. Oh. It just shows you how powerful music really is because it is that universal language that everyone understands, even though we, don't, we may not speak the same language. We make an effort to sing music of the country that we're visiting, of course. That's beautiful. So what's on the horizon for the choir? Do you think that you'll continue to grow in numbers here or is it sort of right-sized at this point. I mean, 5,000 kids, that's a lot. You know, the year-to-year, day-to-day, week-to-week management of all this, is, it's got to be pretty complicated. Is there, is there a goal to expand further, or do you think you're sort of at a great equilibrium right now? It's a great question. Our strategic plan is serve 6,000 by 2021. Okay, well, that's a reasonable yeah, we're goal. almost there. Yeah. But that's a great question. I mean, we're a healthy size. We don't want to grow just to grow, right. right? I mean, I think for me, arts is a basic human right, right? So it would be great if every child had the opportunity to sing. Certainly. But I think we're okay. I mean, you know, we have some goals to expand in other ways, perhaps. I can't share that right now, but yes, it would be great if every child had the opportunity to experience this magic. Is there anything like this Chicago Children's Choir that you've seen, at least within the United States? Uh, yes, there are other organizations that were inspired by the choir. So Henry Leck, who started the Indianapolis Children's Chorus, he approached me uh, after a concert and he's like, I just want you to know something. He's like, you know, I saw Reverend Christopher Moore, the founder of the Chicago Children's Choir. He was a Unitarian minister. He said, I saw these kids at an ACDA conference. And I don't know, maybe it was back in the 80s or something or 70s. And he's like, I was completely blown away by seeing diverse, a diverse group of kids singing at that level. And, you know, I just wanted this in Indianapolis. So he started the Indianapolis Children's Choir and inspired that model. Boston, Hubie Jones, their founder, uh, was at a city year conference at the University of Chicago. And he approached me after and he's like, we need this in Boston. Um, Francisco Nunez of Young People's Chorus also came and visited us when he was expanding his model. So we have, uh, and I know that for a fact, and uh, they, they've been very dear friends of the choir. So I'm glad it's inspired uh, a nationwide movement, Detroit, um, LA. I mean, there are a lot of people that are out there trying to do, you know, serve our children and and the more the merrier 
it seems like this is the perfect model and that others would want to emulate this. There's so much success here and, and everything works so fluidly that it must be a, an obvious template for others and other civic officials in other cities to yes. look at, right? Yes. And of course, you have a very strong relationship with the city of Chicago itself. And how is that work as administrations change? Do you see fluctuations in that level of support or is this your Chicago Children's Choir just a baseline given that the, the city needs to be behind what you guys are doing because it's so powerful. We've been at the Cultural Center since the 1990s and um, had great relationship with uh, late what, Lois Weisberg, the former commissioner, uh, Mayor Daly, Rahm Emanuel. His kids were actually in the program at one point really? before he became chief of staff. Um, Mayor Lightfoot, I'm currently on the Cultural Advisory Council now and uh, they've been very supportive because we're always available for civic events. And I think it's so it's so important to have the young people represented in this way, right? Because it's positive. It's teaching compassion. We're empathizing with one another. We are all striving towards this goal of creating a better world and global citizenship. What does that mean? That means teaching young people history through music so that Wherever they go in this world, they can relate to other people. We're educating them. Those are our three core values, education, expression, and excellence. And it's teaching them interpersonal skills. All of these skills are transferable. I think if you sing with someone, you're less likely to be violent with them. Absolutely. So what's next for you, Josephine Lee? Wow. Where does it go from here? Where does it You've go from here? You've built so much success here. with this organization. What do you see? 10 years down the road for you personally? That's a great, good question. What do you see for me? <laughs> well, I, it, it, the sky's the limit for this organization, I think. I, and and the, uh, I, I think the notion of the international ambassadors is something that's very important right now. And, uh, and it, it's great that you perform that function not only for Chicago, but for America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that exchange is, is really critical. And, uh, you know, I guess I could see that blowing up tenfold from what it is today because yes. it's, it, it's so needed. It is. I just feel so, it's funny. I don't know if you feel this. Do you feel like our world is more united now than it was 20 years ago? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. I think we're more connected, maybe not united. Um, that's just my opinion, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it, in your role as someone who's uniting people on a daily basis, um, I'd, I'd be interested in your view on that because mm-hmm. cause you've been at this 20 years with this organization. And, uh, do you feel like we're more united in some ways, but yet I think there are more ignorance now, I think because of, um, the rhetoric, misinformation, right? Uh, where more easily we judge people based on just the yeah. ignorance that happens because of whatever news outlet they're seeing, cable news, like 30 second snippets here and there. Or, my gosh, I can't believe you live in that city. It's so violent and there's so much, you know, there's murder rate is at a all time high. And how can you even walk around? You know, we live in a state of like anxiety and fear of being judged. And uh, it's hard to see authenticity sometimes because people are just behaving in a way that they want other people to see them, not as who they are. So in some ways, do you see yourself working 
against a force that's pushing harder in the opposite direction right now? And how, how does that manifest itself with the kids? Are, are you seeing a, a higher level of I see the tension? Ki- yeah, I feel like the kids are more anxious than they ever were. Oh. Well, and they're, maybe they're reflecting everybody's feelings. Yes, I right. think so. I mean, they have to behave a certain way. They have to have certain scores. And, you know, there's just no the over-programming perhaps, right? right? You know, back when we were growing up, I don't think we had that many distractions. And right. we could just be. Uh, and now you have, you're saturated with all this information. It's like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? The bottom line is you have to work with that. That's the beautiful thing about music. It doesn't lie, right? If something's out of tune, everyone knows. <laughs> Right. So you either know your notes, you know, either you know, you know, the words or you don't. Right. It's finite. It's a singular effort. It requires focus. Yes. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. Right. <laughs> it's right. It's right. So, you know, when you, you know, when you're there. Yeah. Right? And we live in such yeah. a judgmental society. Everyone's yes. going to blast you if you don't sing it in tune or right. that. Right. So right. there's so that's what's so beautiful about it. And then, you know, when you work towards something, right, we all it takes discipline. It takes time. Right. There are no shortcuts right. in this profession. And again, let me just be very clear that it's not, Chicago Children's Choir doesn't exist to create more musicians. Chicago Children's Choir exists to create compassionate, empathetic citizens of the world. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Josephine Lee. President and Artistic oh, Director of the you, Chicago Mark. Children's Choir. And uh, I know we at Sure appreciate our engagement and relationship with your fantastic organization and look forward to doing many, many more things with you and, and your people. Uh, it's extremely rewarding for us. And uh, hopefully the kids are having a great time downstairs right now. They sound um, like it. <laughs> auditioning microphones and learning about them. And um, I, I do have to ask you, uh, how do you do it all? Uh, how do you find the hours in a day? Well, And you love what you do, doesn't feel like work. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more in-depth interviews with artists, engineers, and professionals from all walks of the music industry. This is Signal Path. 